I really enjoyed your segment on the uh, Giant Bomb E3 couch where Jeff was like, oh, Train Jam sounds awesome. I should do it. And I was like, yeah, you should. Yeah, right? That was one of those funny ones because I had such like, because I was sitting on that couch and I, I know, I obviously knew everybody on the couch. Like I'm close to everybody right. on the couch, but it, it was one of those like, grand imposter syndrome moments where i was <laughs> like and they're like talking about releasing these like big commercially successful games you know like finji and then like nuclear throne and all these things and i'm sitting there i'm like crap what is he going to talk about with me like what what's gonna happen and then he gets to me and jeff being the absolute amazing host he is just like knows exactly what to do exactly how to steer the conversation and then that's when it hit me that literally everybody on the couch had been on train jam for Harris, which hopefully now next year he'll come on because come on. But yeah, it was just one of those moments where I'm sitting there and like, I don't know if you can see it in my face at all, but the whole time I'm like, crap, 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 nothing to talk about. I'm just going to be silent and awkward the whole time. And then it was like one of the longer segments, I think, of our whole couch time was everybody just raving about how great Train Jam was. And I was like, ha And then that one small reference to Jerry and then nothing else. It was hilarious. Uh, I was hanging out with Dicey and Kate Gray at gdc the sunday after we got in and we're hanging out at the uh the indie hostel and dicey's like uh we're gonna invite jerry do you know jerry and i said no and then he comes downstairs and i'm like you're the guy that stuck his head out the window on the train jam (laughs) and he just his fight or flight instinct just like immediately kicked in he did a wide stance he was like huh he like didn't know what to do he felt like he was caught it's perfect. It was it was just one of those perfect scenarios where, you know, the train conductor told me I had to tell people not to do that. I'm like, crap, who the heck did that? Me and John were going up and down to the train being like, who stuck their head out the window? Like, who is that big of an idiot to stick their head out the window? And then we were looking through the little Polaroids later, and there was just this perfect photo <laughs> of Jerry with his face out the window. And I marched up to Jerry with the photo. I'm like, Jerry, and he's like, I don't know. It wasn't me. <laughs> So good. I'm definitely going to use that in the slideshow next year of when I'm telling the rules. <laughs> I have to like, I have to keep this running list of rules that people have broken every year that I didn't really think about having to tell people not to do. <laughs> like, don't stick your head out the window. But yeah, so this one will come out immediately after uh, I did one with Matt Keaton and Craig. So my train jam team. So it'll be a nice little kind of confluence there. Yay. I love seeing, like, I feel like Train Jam in the games industry has reached this critical mass where there's so many people who have been on it now. Everywhere I go, there's somebody who's like, oh, man, I was on Train Jam. And I'm like, ah. I did it. Yeah, it's it's this nice little confidence boost every time I go to an event. And, like, especially now that we have the T-shirts, like, I showed up at the... Um, the end presentation for Stugan. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and I walk in and somebody's wearing a Train Jam shirt. I'm like... I saw it in the pictures. I saw it in the photos. I was like, oh, cool. Um, Yeah, well, the interesting thing with me was that, I mean, since we're recording, I guess we'll just flow into this and I'll sync it up after the fact. But the what was interesting for me is that, you know, I really wanted to meet Dicey because, you know, Felix and I had been talking and stuff since like PAX South. So I I wanted to meet him and chat up with him. And I knew he was on the train, but I have no idea what he looked like. (laughs) Right. Because, you know, he Dicey's one of those people that doesn't use a picture of himself like on social media. He just uses his logo. So I'm just like, I don't know what this guy looks like. So hopefully I run into him and he's just saying, I'm the person that makes tunic. (laughs) And I'll be able to talk to him. And I didn't see him the whole train jam. And then uh, I go to that uh brunch like that big brunch that's like the sunday before gdc 
and I and I took my friend that I was staying with in San Francisco, and we go and we're just like sitting around looking for a table, and I recognized Kate Gray, and there's a a table next to her, and I was like, Alex, let's get that table, and so we sit down. And so, it was, and so I like introduced myself. It's like, oh hi. It's like, you know, I I know you work. I know you from from Twitter and such. It's like nice to meet you. And then Andrew Dicey was right there, and I was like, hi stranger. Don't know who you are. Nice <laughs> to meet you. And he had his scarf on with like four Train Jam buttons. I was like, oh, you're on Train Jam. He's like, yeah. And it's like, oh. And then we started talking. Eventually, there was a part where I go, I was talking about the podcast. It's like, yeah. So I had Felix Kramer on the podcast once. I was like, do you know Felix? And <laughs> Dicey was just like, yeah. <laughs> like they they do all the biz and marketing stuff for my game i'm like oh oh okay i know who you are uh dicey's such a sweetheart and he 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 says so much in so few words right uh yeah it was really nice to have him on the podcast because i felt like that was the longest i've heard him speak yeah uh i was talking to someone about that that giant bomb couch again and I was talking about their your segment you were on, and they were like, "Oh, I wish I get to hear Dicey talks more about his game and such." And I was just like, slyly sliding my link to my episode across the table, the virtual table. We're like, here you go, check this out. Poor Dicey on that couch. He was surrounded by <laughs> me, Rami, uh, the Saltzmans, mm-hmm. and Harris, and all of us just talk. And poor Dicey was just sitting there being like, oh, no, they're adding features to Tunic. <laughs> yeah, I got to get back to work. Got to get back to work. I remember the first train jam that Dicey was on, which I was four years ago then, because he was on the second ever train jam. And it was before he started at least publicly working on Tunic. He was probably working on a prototype in the background. And I remember him like sitting me down sometime like late at night on the first day or something, because we were both just in the observation car. And he was just asking me advice about... I don't know, game development or something. I don't even remember anything I said, but he found his notes from it recently. And he oh, said good. that there's a piece of advice in there that's just like, treat people like humans. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> pretty good advice, I guess. I would give that again. <laughs> Seven out of ten. Yeah. Um, Come to me for all your the, advice. Treat people like people. The one night Robin was in there showing off uh, Wobble Garden. Yeah. And all the lights were off except for Wobble Garden. And so it was just like this rave on a table going off. And, I, and I'm and i like trying to get to my coach seat. And I'm like bleary eyed, like not awake at all. And then there's just I'm being assaulted by all of these colors watching Robin show off Wobble Garden. And then this guy turns to me. And he's like, put these on. And it was like refracted yeah. glasses. And I was like, oh, no, this is like way worse. I need to go to bed right now. Oh man, Robin! Robin is one of the few people who has been on all five train jams. Mm, so okay. there, there's only like seven or eight of them left, and I, I forget who all has done it. But there's <laughs> there's this tiny, tiny, tiny contingency of people who have been on all five years, and it just like I love that there's just this tiny core amount of people because there wasn't that many people on the first train jam. It was only only quote unquote only sixty people, um, and it's just it's fun to see that there is people who sort of stuck with it through all the years and. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah. Matt and I were talking about it, about how uh, uh, we both fucked up because the first time of us going to GDC was us doing train jams. So now those things are permanently like interlinked. Yep. So it's like we can't not do train jam and go to GDC because it's like part of that experience. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I find that when it's people's first time ever going to GDC, train jams are really nice transition into that because GDC is so overwhelming 
Um, and there's so much going on. There's so many people. And if you're if you're new to the industry as well as new to GDC, which I don't think either of you are new to the industry, but it's 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 very super 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 intimidating. And now if you go on Trading Jam first, you start GDC with at least like 300 people that you've seen yeah. before, and you have this like weird connection with each other. So even if you didn't talk on the train whatsoever, you see the fun meter button and you go, "Hey, you were on you were on that thing I was on. Now we're best friends. Let's go to dinner together." And it's really right. fun sort of like seeing those little interactions because I, I spy on people all the time while I'm walking around at GDC. And like, <laughs> you know, when I see a fun meter button, I like pay attention. I'm watching them and I see those little things happen. It just, it, I don't know, it makes me really happy to know that there's this nice little like pre-GDC thing where people can meet each other and do something sort of creative and weird and then have new friends when they show up at what is arguably one of the most intense weeks of a game developer's life every year. Right. Have you explicitly stated that to people, like where you're pinned during the week so like other train jam people can identify you and maybe like, you know, you know, hang out together or stuff? Because I feel like that would help. Yeah, no, I've never actually said that. I just assume people will think the buttons are cool enough to wear all the time, always. (laughs) (laughs) I love those buttons. I get them from this website. It's called armoreddiecutting.com. And it's from this very lovely man there who has no idea what Train Jam is. He just gets this random order of 350 buttons every year. But the website mm-hmm. is incredible because he must have made it in, you know, the mid 90s. And so it has all these like artifacts of old school websites in it that you just never see anymore. Like there's a visitor right. counter at the bottom. There's yeah. like animated gift backgrounds. Like it's so good. And I love it so much. And then I get these fun meter buttons where people can show how much fun they're having every year. And every year, it's always the same button. It's just the year is different. <laughs> you talk about this a lot of like the the external mesh work of of Train Jam, like all of the conductors that know about it, and all of the Amtrak workers, and then all of like the Train Spotter people and all the Train Spotter forums that know about the the train. And I I just think that's hilarious because like to us, it's like it's it's a very I, I say by now a very well-established thing and it's like definable to, by a lot of people in the games industry but like when it broaches outside of that to these other let's say very niche communities it's just it's really hilarious well it's one of the fun things about the train the train enthusiast forums that i follow online when they talk about us because they there's most of them understand that they're also dorks and so they like really appreciate what we're doing because they understand the sort of like nerdiness behind it of just like doing something weird and doing something different and enjoying some sort of niche thing. Um, Some of them are kind of, they don't see that and they're like, oh, what are all these nerds doing on this train? They won't appreciate it, right? And then people swoop right in going, (laughs) we're on a a train enthusiast forum, like (laughs) pot calling the kettle black there. The very, very first year of Train Jam in 2014, um, we had the fun meter buttons and I ended up giving them to a bunch of the staff members on there and I give them, I give the staff members fun meters every year. So I always order extras for them. I didn't really think about it the first year, but I had extras anyway. So I gave them a bunch of them, the fun meters. And there was this one guy who was working the cafe car that year and his name was Martin and Martin had all these like voices that he would do over the PA system when he was closing down or starting up or just making announcements. And he had these like sound boards where he would play noises and there would be train whistles and he had like one that would play a sound clip from Rugrats when Tommy would say a baby's gotta do what a baby's gotta do and he, it was just he like became this whole he, he was this whole thing and I guess that's his whole shtick because everybody at Amtrak also knows Martin like 
he was infamous. He had been there for many, many, many years. I think he moved on to a different department a couple of years ago. Anyway, I gave him one of the fun meters because he was incredible. Um, but ever since then, he actually started making fun meters and ordering them from the same website and then handing them out to his staff. And so, oh, that's cool. And then it's funny because in Amtrak's eyes, they actually didn't know that connection. And so every time I meet an Amtrak person and they see my fun meter, they go, oh, you must know Martin. And I go, well, let me tell you where Martin got the <laughs> idea from. <laughs> he got it from us. And so it's just this funny like disconnect in, in the lore of the fun meter buttons. And I love that that's there because everybody in Amtrak staff world knows Martin and knows the fun meters, but most of them don't know the connection to train jam. Cause they also know of train jam. Cause we're the weird group of people that buys a train every year for some weird reason. Um, and it's yeah. fun to always like whenever I meet somebody from corporate Amtrak and they, they don't know that connection. I tell them and they're like, Oh my God, that's so cool. That's really awesome. Yep. I, I really like, uh, that intermingling of just like kind of cross country travel not via plane and game development. I just had uh, Johanneman on who did Where the Water Tastes Like Wine and he was talking all about how he like, because he came out here to the Smithsonian Arcade because Where the Water Tastes Like Wine got showcased there and he drove out and then he drove back from Santa Fe and it was just this big conversation of like, yeah, it's like, you know, I, I think he grew up in Colorado and he was just talking about how we we don't appreciate kind of what we have in terms of geography and landmass yeah. when we fly everywhere. It's incredible. Like that's one of my favorite things about the route that we take on the train is the California Zephyr route just it hits all the terrain basically. And so especially for the people coming internationally who have never been to the states before, you're just like, "Hey, here's a 2-day crash course on just the sheer enormity and different landscapes and things that you can see in this country." And it's it's just, it's incredible to see because you get, you know, the Midwest Plains, you get the Rocky Mountains, you get canyons, you get Donner Pass, you get the Sierra Nevada deserts, like. That was the weirdest part. Yeah, like all, you're like, oh, here's a bunch of snow. Okay, here's a desert. I've never been on the western half of the, the country before. Before Pack South, I wasn't, I went to San Antonio once before. That was actually my first flight I ever took at like the age of 19. But yeah, it's like we, my family was strictly a car traveling family we take all of our vacations via car when i was a kid but when i remember falling asleep the first night waking up and we were in denver and i was like i am now officially the farthest west i've ever been in my life in this country so that was your first time seeing the rocky mountains yep <sighs> i'm so jealous i love the rocky <laughs> mountains i'd love to see them for the first time again <laughs> Well, it's and and they were beautiful. Like both the Rocky Mountains and the Sierra Nevada Mountains were both beautiful, and I really liked the ta Lake Tahoe area. Yeah. Felt really bad with that Union Pacific train that was tipped over, though. But, yeah, that happens. Um, I, I've 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 structured a thirty-minute block in this episode for us to strictly talk about flangers, and we'll get to that. But <laughs> the flanger is probably the best word I've learned from doing all this train stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you said it, and I was like, "That's I need to hold on to that word." And then, like a week and a half later, I forgot it, and I was like, "Fuck, what's it called?" It's like it's, it's a snowplow. It's it's something. Yeah, it's something. If you just Google like train snowplow, I think it comes up. Right, but um, yeah, like most of my experience has been on the West Coast and the West. I mean the the East Coast, and the East Coast is you know, and you're from Pennsylvania, so you know, like the East Coast has relatively homogenous geography i would say yeah it doesn't change a lot 
So it's like once you go west towards any any state on the east coast, like you go to hit Appalachia, and it's like you, and that's like your your variation in geography. But like you said, going from mountains, snow covered mountains, to like plains to a desert, and especially when we hit that part, it was like hazy. So, it was, and so I was just staring outside, and like the ground is like this kind of off, you know, this reddish off white kind of color, and the sky is like this hazy kind of purple and pink. And I'm just like, am I like in, like, am I on earth anymore? Like, I feel like I'm on another like universe. Like this doesn't feel like, I feel like I'm on like a no man's sky planet. Oh man. I love it. I I love traveling cross country. Like you were saying, not, not on flights. Like I like flying because I mean, I actually don't really like flying at all, but I like flying because it gets me places, you right. know, and sometimes there's something to be said about just being somewhere, but man, I've, I've driven across the country. I think. I don't even know. I actually can't count the amount of times I've driven across country. I've done it so much, which is ridiculous. And then I've ridden that train now five times. I've ridden another cross country train before this when I invented train jam. And it's just like, there's so many things to see. And I feel like I'll never be able to see it all just in that one country. Um, And it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's really fun to do that kind of stuff and see all those small sites that you didn't think about before. Like the first time I ever drove across country as an adult, Um, We took this northern route and we went through South Dakota, which then we ended up in the Badlands National Park, which ended up being like the most incredible landscape I have ever seen. Like, it's just it's hard to explain what the Badlands look like, but it's just like you feel like you're on the moon. Everything is sort of like dry and dusty and hard. Rocky crags. Yeah, it's super weird. And it was something I hadn't even like I'd never heard of the Badlands National Park before. And it was like a random detour that we weren't planning on. But we saw a sign and went, "Okay, let's go over there now. And it's just, you don't, you don't get to do stuff like that when you're on a flight, you know, you don't get to see yeah. it and you'll never get to see it. And I don't know, South Dakota was this like surprisingly really cool state to visit. I would like to visit like that or Montana. Mm-hmm. I feel like Montana is like five people and then a bunch of horses. <laughs> uh, I like, I like, I like that idea. Like what was cool about the train is that like a lot of the landscapes that we went through felt unspoiled. Yeah. A lot of the train route goes doesn't follow the highway, you know, so you're in places that even if you went on a cross country road trip, you wouldn't ever see before. Like a lot of the Rocky Mountains that we go through are just tunnels and pathways and everything that were created just for the train. It's one of the reasons we have no cell phone service or Wi-Fi on the train is because all the cell phone towers are along highways. Nobody thinks to put them near train tracks. Adriel, I had coverage like 80% of that trip. Man, what carrier do you have? You I'm Verizon. Wow. I mean, it's been getting better every year, but it's one of those things where I don't want people to expect to have any connection yeah. anyway. Oh, I was going to say, it's like you and like Felix before, because Felix had like in the past tried to get work done on the train and they were just like, just don't expect any coverage. You should be locked away. It's like you're in a Faraday cage for three days. Like you know, no outside communication. I'm like, all right. And then like, I would just... Have a couple bars like most of the time and be like, all right, I'm going to Google this image for reference for the game or whatever. Nice. Yeah, you're one of those lucky few then. Especially especially bad for like when people come from abroad because they don't have like a good carrier or their hotspot that they're using isn't, you know, super good or anything. So for the most part, people don't really get coverage. So it's always good to sort of set that expectation so that people don't come on and like expect to be able to download Unity from the train. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, but le- yeah, a lot of the places that you go through on the train ride are just like completely not near the highways, not near anything. Like, there's one, there's one town we go through that I think has a population of seven or something like that. 
It's amazing. That's rad. I love, I love that train ride. Like I've been on that same route now five times and it's always different, which is always weird. Like obviously the route is always the same, but everything always looks different. Like the variations in the level of snow or where the snow is or what's been happening, you know, throughout the year of like what's blooming and what's where, and then you see animals and there's just, it's so good. It was, and you said it was a lot of snow this year, right? Yeah, this was a lot of snow. Last year we had a ton of snow as well. Last year, I don't know if I told you a story when we were on the train, but last year we had this really interesting thing happen where, um, so it's like three weeks before train jam, picture this, three weeks before train jam 2017, and I get a text message from the woman I've been working with at Amtrak at like three in the morning my time, which she knows the time difference, so I'm just like, okay, there's something, something's going on. She's like, give me a call when you can, and I'm like, okay, and I call her. And so what had happened was there was so much snow and so much rain and so much everything out in the Salt Lake City area that the train tracks had been completely washed out. No train had gone through the Salt Lake City to Sacramento line in like two weeks. And she wanted to know how much time we had to play with between when the train normally arrives and when GDC starts to see what she can figure out, to see how much time she had to play with. I'm like, okay. Um, so we talked through everything and she's like, but don't worry, we're going to get you to San Francisco. We're going to figure it out. I'm like, great, good. This is great. Um, so she ends up scheduling a meeting with all the like train track owner people, <laughs> the train Illuminati. Yeah. Well, cause there's, there's Amtrak, which is the train company. And then there's like union Pacific and BNSF and all the people right, who own Norfolk the, Southern. Yeah. And, the people who own the railroads, which they control. From what I understand, this is all from what I understand because I'm not actually a train person um, because they they control when the trains go where and the weight distributions and the scheduling and so anyway, so she creates a meeting with them. They all have this big conversation and we end up coming up with three plans or I don't I just get told what the three plans are. The plans are track opens up. Everything's fine. We take the normal route. There was another plan, which I don't remember. And then there was a third plan, which is they just created a whole new route for us, which was going to take us from Chicago down through like Kansas across near the Grand Canyon, I think hit like not LA, but somewhere right before LA and then come up the West Coast and end up in San Francisco, which was going to be like 10 hours longer and didn't actually exist as a route. Like they were just going to do it specifically for just our train. They stitched a bunch of different lines together for you. Which, from what I understand, has never happened before. Like, obviously, they all work together in some capacity, but they've never just done it for a train, um, like one random train. So they had all these plans, but we weren't able to make the call until literally the morning that train jam left because it was still going to leave at the same time and everything. So I had to like communicate this to 300 people of just like, hey, welcome to America for those of you coming from abroad. I don't know where we're going to be. We're going to be some country. <laughs> I'll let you know what I know. Um, it's going to be a wild ride. Just hang on. And so like all this stuff. And then we ended up, what ended up happening was Union Pacific like worked overtime. You know, they cleared the track. They repaired it. And we were the first train to go through in two, three weeks. Um, and it was fine. We got flanger escort that year as well. And, and they were warning me that there were going to be delays like up to like 10 hours or something. But we ended up being in right on time. So it all worked out in the end. But it was this whole like ridiculous background train 
logistic story going on that so many people weren't really like super privy to. And it was just really fun mm-hmm. to see them all work together and re- and just like internalizing just how much influence Train Jam had in Train World. Um, and then afterwards, it was requested of me to write an email to the president of Union Pacific and the president of Amtrak thanking them for working together because it would help foster relationships. <laughs> So I'd like turned wow. into like weird train ambassador as well. <laughs> yeah, you're like a diplomat. Yeah, it was it was really cool to see all of that. Um, I forget why I even told that story, but it's I don't know. It's one of the coolest stories that came out. Of it. And then it was fun because the train forums and like train spotters were extra excited for us to go through because they're like, oh, they're the first train to go through in three weeks. Oh my gosh, are they gonna make it? And there was like this whole thing, and they were like following our route. And well, what makes it cool is that. You know, it's about new experiences, right? So, like, what I really liked is that, obviously, I got to see new landscapes I never saw before in my life. Like, obviously, like, you know, it's true. If you see something in real life, it doesn't, you know, a picture doesn't do it justice. Even though I love Izzy's pictures, and I have one over there somewhere. Yeah, she's an incredible photographer. Well, it's funny, because she's been, like, periodically, like, posting, tweeting pictures that she took during the trip. And she put one up, and I looked at it. And then I pulled open my drawer and I pulled out the Polaroid and it was the exact same picture. <laughs> and I was like, huh. Yeah, but like, you know, that entire that entire thing was a new experience to me. Like going to Chicago was new. Going to a giant train station was new. Getting on a train with an observation car was new. Like, it's not just new from the perspective of, oh, I get to see new environments. It's that this entire, like even being inside of this structure is new to me. And that's fascinating. So I think like the reason we have to stitch all these different you know, uh, tracks together to, to make the, the course for a train jam is cool just because that's something new and different. And also in the end, isn't like life threatening or, you know, job threatening, right? Cause if they're ensuring that you're going to get there on time, it's cool. Like I've never been outside of the country and I'm sure one day I will. And I have no idea how I'm going to handle it outside of the immense fear of if I'm not in a English native speaking country. I mean, if you come to Europe, it's pretty easy. Most everybody speaks English here, so... Right, that's what I've been told. Yeah, it's always helpful. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the core like tenets of Train Jam is pulling people outside of their comfort zone, but in a way that feels safe and welcoming and not scary in any way, shape, or form. Like, you know, there's always some sort of fear that I think can come with putting yourself into a situation that you have no idea what to expect and... You know, sitting on a train for three days is definitely under that category. Um, but I, I try to make it in a way where nobody's going to feel super intimidated and nobody is going to, like, have to put their creativity at risk to do something. You know, like, I want right. people to focus on just doing something weird, like getting other brain synapses to fire than normal, Um I don't know. I think that's one of the things Train Jam really excels at because it's, you know, it's non-competitive. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. There's people from literally all over the world, like through our diversity initiatives and everything, we ensure that there's people from, you know, every inhabited continent, from all sorts of different corners of the world and, you know, different genders, different backgrounds, different sexualities, different beliefs, different cultures, different, you know, everything that we can and we create a space for all of them, you know, and so you get to work with people you've never worked with before, you get to work with people from backgrounds that you've never thought of before, you get to pe- work with people with different viewpoints and different upbringings and different just entire life experiences. And it's all just in this nice, safe, beautiful, adventurous train barreling across the country. 
It also helps, like, and we mentioned it before about how the Amtrak staff is also like super excited about it and welcoming about it. It's like this weird thing. Also, it's like I like we all have social anxieties, especially being in the games industry. And like, if even if we're surrounded by people that are welcoming towards our like what we want to do, like if there's like someone that is kind of judging it from the outside and it's also there, like that could be kind of off putting. Like I'll work on some game dev stuff on the bus sometimes and like look over my shoulder, like I'm a normal person. I'm just <laughs> working, just doing pixel art. It's fine. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things. Like even before I started, because. Two years ago is when I really started directly working with Amtrak. Before that, it was just I got group reservations and hoped that they didn't get mad at us. Um, but even even from the very, very beginning, the, the train car staff, like the people who work on the trains, have always been really excited about us because we're, we're new and we're different. You know, because the, the general population that gets on a long distance train are like, they're cool people. Like they're, they're the kind of people who want to go on an adventure, which is always neat. But it's sort of like... You know, it's older people or people with young children, you know, just sort of like taking this cross country trip. And then here we are, you know, a group of people who are enthusiastic about a niche weird thing sitting on the train getting excited about everything. And so they've always really liked us from that standpoint. And I think because I've made such a point that that the attendees have to be like nice to the staff and we treat them well and you know, respect them and clean up after ourselves and don't make a mess and don't be obnoxious and don't be rude. Like they've just, they've really grown to love us over the years and they just get really enthusiastic every year we come on because, because most of them aren't gamers. They're not game developers, you know, but they, they get excited about all these new things. So like, I remember the first year somebody brought an Oculus on board and we like sat down the staff and let them try out the Oculus. And they were just like incredulous by this new, newfangled technology that we were showing them. And they just get super excited about us every year. And I don't know, they're very welcoming. Like there was a time this year, which, cause you know, like you were saying, our industry, our industry is weird. Um, I don't know if you know this, uh-huh. we're all very uh. weird, but we, we, I sometimes forget about this where we're in this industry where we talk a lot about, you know, like social issues and, and things like genders and sexuality and stuff like that. And we're all very like welcoming. And I forget that we're, an industry that talks about that stuff. And then sometimes I'm outside of the industry and people say things where I'm like, Oh God, like, Oh, you're saying something that is very inappropriate, but I don't know how to talk to you about it right now because this isn't my thing or whatever. And, and so I always get a little worried about that. Um, but I remember there was a time this year that the, the Amtrak folks, they like came over and they're announcing breakfast or something. They're like, ladies and gentlemen and non-binary people, you know, breakfast is opening up. And I was like, Oh, like they, yeah. they noticed, like they noticed that they internalized it, they understood it, and they said it, and they used that kind of welcoming words. And I don't know, it was something. It was very minor. Like I think most people who are cisgendered, like binary gendered people, didn't notice it. But it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, they did it. Like they, they, yeah. I don't know. They made this extra welcoming environment for other people, and it was really nice to see. Yeah, I remember. I remember when they did that, and I looked around. Everyone was like. Yeah. All right. It was just, yeah. It was this nice reminder that I don't know. I I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It was really nice. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and that's the kind of positive effect you you hope to have on people's yeah. especially outside of your kind of usual industry and niche. Well, <laughs> I could talk about trains all day. I believe you. But yeah, uh you mentioned before that you do take planes since being in the Netherlands. Um, so you have to get to the States a lot and, and such. And I just, I don't know how you guys travel so much. I really don't. Well, now that Netflix allows you to download shows offline. <laughs> That's real easy. I oh bet. my God. That has been a literal life changer. 
Like what you do is you find a show that is super bingeable at home. You watch like the first two episodes the day before you download all the remaining episodes and then you just watch them on your flight and surprise. It's like no time has passed. That's, that's my, that's my literal actual real tip is, Oh my God downloadable netflix has really changed the game between that and the switch revol- oh my gosh oh yeah yeah i haven't taken my switch outside of the house yet <laughs> um, i do play i always play it portable but i never like go outside with it yeah it's like, i'm just gonna sit here on my couch that's one of the funny things about the switch is when i'm home i still don't put like i put it in the dock to charge it but when i play it i don't play it on the tv and i don't really know why but there's some like mental barrier in my mind where i'm like no i have to i have to play it portable like i it doesn't belong on the television. It feels it's my too big, big boy game boy. There. Yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah, between the Switch and downloadable Netflix, flights have gotten super, super, super easy. But Adriel, you're supposed to be productive on a flight. You're supposed to get emails done and write and get you know a bunch of stuff done. Do some programming. There's there's some times where I try and be productive on flights, but I've sort of like. So here here's the real story. Is I have pretty bad flying anxiety like I actually really don't like flying it makes me very fearful and I get really anxious about it and yada 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 all that kind of stuff and so I've there was many years where I tried to be productive on flights um but then like my anxiety flares up and I just like I can't you know and I I used to try and push myself to do that and I've gotten a lot better at being like you know what screw it this is my 10 hour just break you know I just Mm -hmm. sit here for 10 hours veg out have a lazy day and that will make it go better. And that will be better for me all around. Because if I'm anxious and I'm trying to work, by the time I land, I'm just going to be exhausted. And my whole day is shot then. Whereas what I could do is just like veg out and watch 10 hours of Netflix. And then I land <laughs> and I'm like, not fine, but I'm better, you know, than, right. than I would have been if I'd forced myself to work. Where some people get on flights and they're like, I work and I'm productive and I'm great. And I'm like, that's good for you. I'm going to watch <laughs> I mean, for me, that's like the anxiety, like the loss of productivity, like, but I still don't get work done because I've been on probably five flights in my life, like five round trip flights in my life. And so I'm still like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to work. We're going to do some programming. And then I just see the clouds and I just, and then five hours pass. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> then, like, I, it. like I said, like, I really don't like flying, but then there's some parts I really appreciate. Like when there's just like these gorgeous, like clouds or the only time I've ever seen the northern lights in my entire life I saw from an airplane and it was really faint and in the distance but like it was the only time I've ever seen it there was just this faint green glow off in the distance um or like if you're flying over like because a lot of times when you're flying from the Netherlands to like the west coast of the U.S. you go pretty close like pretty far north and so you fly over like Greenland and there's just all this like frozen tundras or you're going over northern Canada and there's just this beautiful landscape and all that kind of stuff and I really appreciate that but I don't know it's the whole fear of flying thing it's annoying I understand it my, my girlfriend has the same thing yeah so we talk about it a lot it's hard because what it like what it boils down to for the most part I think is a lack of control like I understand rationally that driving is more dangerous than flying but if I'm driving, then I'm like, oh, I'm a safe driver. I've never been in an accident. I can stop any accident that's going to happen. Or if something happens, I can swerve out of the way. Or if I'm a passenger, I can like jump out the, you know, window or I don't know. Like there's always these like things that I feel like I have control over when I'm in a car. Whereas in an right. airplane, right. Eh, something goes wrong and I'm just surprised you're dead. Yeah. Now. 
you know, and so there's like that huge lack of control that comes with it. And it's something that I just, my brain can't handle. And it goes, haha, you should panic, you know, and then through like years of having that sort of flying anxiety, I think what has happened is now my brain goes, oh, well, you panicked before and everything was fine. So what the appropriate response before a flight should be (laughs) is to panic. And it like goes in this weird negative feedback loop. And I've been working on like breaking out of that negative cycle. But it is one of those like things when somebody pointed that out, I was just like, oh, yeah, that makes makes total sense. Like my brain just internalizes that panicking is the right response to getting on a flight because that's what has made everything safe over the last 32 years. Like, <laughs> right. It's very yeah. weird. Brains are super weird. <laughs> well, my girlfriend and I, my girlfriend Wendy and I got into this like fear factor type of conversation. I, I brought up submarines oh, for God. some reason. That horrible. And right. Well, we were talking about it. And so she doesn't really like flying. And she goes, I would feel much safer in a submarine than a plane. And I just, I was like, you would feel better in a pressurized tube, the same pressurized like fuselage, but submerged hundreds of feet below sea level that if like, if there is any sort of malfunction, like it's almost guaranteed demise. You know what? I can, I can understand that though. Like I, I think I would be probably just about equally as anxious in a submarine as in an airplane, but probably just slightly less so because... I'm at least on the ground, quote unquote. Like, I know I'm not on the ground. I'm underwater. Okay. You're, t- you're touching some sort yeah, of surface. Like, I can swim. I can't fly. You know? Like, if the 0.000% chance that I get out of a submarine somehow and, you know, I survive whatever accident broke the submarine, I know I can swim. Like, I understand I'm still hundreds of feet below. I'm, like, going to get... What's There's the, pressure. What's, what's the disease? <laughs> oh, the bends? Yeah, the bends. Like, I understand I'll probably die, but I know I can swim. Whereas, like, I fall out of an airplane. Can't you might still survive, though. You can. I watched, a, uh, I watched a documentary about this woman who was skydiving, and her parachute didn't open, and she survived. And I was just like, wow, that's... I would have never thought that was a thing, but, I mean, if you you know, flail out, you reach maximum velocity. And apparently what you're supposed to do is like, slow yourself down the whole time. And then right before you get to the ground, you know, assuming that you're thinking correctly at all, is you like point yourself upwards then and land with your feet and bend your knees, because then your knees can take the shock to an extent, like you're going to pulverize your legs, but you're going to protect all the important bits. Right. It was it was really cool to watch that document. Cool is not a good word, but (laughs) it was really interesting to watch that documentary because it was just like I don't know describing all the ways you can actually survive falling out of an airplane. But right, I don't think I ever someone that. But I think I saw a gif once about how like cats survive falling from terminal velocity and like they just slowed down. They made an animation like slowed it down because they like articulate like both halves front and back halves of their body like different ways and then they like you said they bend it like they arch it in a certain way so that when they hit yeah it's fine because their legs just go boom i was thinking about that the other day because there was a ladybug in the apartment and i took the ladybug outside and i tried to get it to fly away and instead it fell off my hand and landed on the porch and it was like you know it was what a five foot drop because it was from my hand to the floor but i mean to a ladybug that's a bazillion feet but the ladybug is fine and i was thinking about that where i'm just like i guess I guess they can't fall that fast. They're pretty light, like right. And they're made yeah. of, you know, whatever beetles are made out of. <laughs> Carapace. Yeah, armor, whatever. <laughs> they're sh- they're shielded. Yeah, they're they could take it. Fine, it's fine. It's also funny because you know 
my girlfriend and I also like our, our role models. Like we both rode and our rowing coach was in the Navy and he was on submarines and stuff. So I think like, I don't know, maybe there's some sort of weird mental safety net from that. But my girlfriend's father was also a paratrooper. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, and I remember him telling me a story once or she told me the story, I think, of because he was in a, a desert shield, I think. And he was in Panama. He was in South America for like part of that that campaign. And they did this jump into like like a, a enemy base, right? It was an airport that was occupied by enemy forces. <laughs> and like and like how how it works is that like, you know, if you've ever played like Titanfall or whatever, like Titanfall one where they do the jump at the very beginning and, and you have the jump master, like and there it's a robot. But it's like the same thing. It's like you push out the back of the thing and you fall out and the thing pulls your chute and you and you fall. Uh it's like that, except there's a light. Okay. And so the light signals when you're in the safe zone to drop, right? And then I think it starts flashing once you're like about to exit the safe zone. And then when it's like red or off, like you can't jump like you're done. Yeah. So if you're at the back of the line and that light goes off, like you're not jumping, like you're just not in that battle. Like you're just you're going home. You're going back to base. You missed it. Um, yeah. And so my girlfriend's dad was like near the end of the line. And he sees like, oh, like we're about to get out of the drop zone. So he like just starts pushing everyone ahead, like just like we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. <laughs> And he's like one of the last guys out. And so he goes out. Uh, his chute gets pulled by the hook that it's on from the plane. He falls. The airport that they're landing in is uh, the perimeter is uh, a fence. Okay. And he's looking at his trajectory and he is a, going to hit this fence. Oh, no. It's like a, a like an eight, nine foot tall fence. I don't know if it's barbed wire or what. Or not barbed wire, but chain link. Right. Um, but he's like, I'm. I'm not gonna get inside the airport. I'm gonna land outside the airport. So he's like trying to like maneuver so he doesn't hit this fence, right. and his butt just bounces off the top of this fence, <laughs> and then he just bounces and then lands right outside. And he's like, "Ow, okay." It's incredible. I often think about whether I'd ever want to go like skydiving or something because I like I I I, I see it from both sides of the. I don't like flying, so heck no, I'm not going to jump out of an airplane ever. But then there's like that flip side of maybe if I jump out of an airplane, then mm-hmm. my brain will be like, oh, that's cool. Flying's cool now because you did something even scarier. Right. It's immersion therapy. Yeah, right? Just sort of do it. Yeah, I have an extreme fear of heights. It's not even like something I can rationalize. Like it, it happens after the fact. It's like, oh, that was scary. But like if if I'm in a high situation, I'm just like, Huh, okay, can't breathe. Like I'm feeling kinda of dizzy. I had that um we we went down last year was it last year? I think it was last year down to the south of the Netherlands and there's this three three country point where three countries come together and you know, it's cool, but there's like this tall tower you can go up and you can be like, Oh look, you can see all three countries. Um if I remember correctly, because I'm terrible at geography, it's the Netherlands, Belgium and Germany. Um, <laughs> okay. But don't quote me on that, and I'm sorry for being an ignorant uh, geography American. I don't know. Anyway. God, perpetuating the stereotype. You know, I'm so bad at geography. It's really bad. Um, so anyway, so we go up this tower, and I like. I also have that sort of fear of heights of just, I get like nauseous and woozy. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I was feeling really confident that day because the tower had an elevator, like a, yeah, an elevator you could go up, you know, like a normal rational person or a set of staircase that you could walk up. And not just like a nice solid staircase, like it's one of those graded ones so you can always see 
through the stairs, you know. And right. Those are the extra terrifying ones. And I don't know what I was thinking about. I was like, yeah, let's let's walk up the stairs. It'll be fun. I'll be great. So like halfway up the stairs is when it hits me of just like, oh God, like I'm very far off the ground and I hate this and I hate everything about it. And there's no midway point. Like the elevator doesn't stop anywhere else. So I either have to go down or up. Rami's there. He's pushing me. He's like, no, 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 we can, we can do it. Like you're fine. And as we're walking up, I'm like, no, like the stairs are getting, and I'm looking at them and I swear to God, the stairs are getting like further apart, you know? And so you have to like take these like giant huge steps and then like uh-huh. then there's like no more backing to the step so i'm like oh no i'm gonna like slip and like fall under the step and fall down and i will die and like the whole time I'm like narrating all these things of being like oh no like this is terrible there's no handrail anymore like everything's off when we get upstairs and you know whatever we calm down and blah 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 and after maybe like 10 minutes or so when i'm fine again rami's like you know those stairs never changed right he was like <laughs> He was like, they were completely consistent the time. <laughs> Nothing changed. The stairs were in- literally the exact same stairs upstairs as they were downstairs. I'm like, no. You know, because I'm, I'm like, no, they got huge. I just take huge steps. There's no more backing. I like, I didn't believe them. So Your vision started tunneling. Yeah, and so we, we took the elevator down. It was a glass elevator. I watched the stairs. I'm like, oh my God, like those stairs never changed. Like that was 100% my brain just like doing weird brain crap just to freak me out. And so it became this sort of like shorthand, like phrasing between us two, where like if I'm on a plane and I'm starting to panic, he'll be like, the stairs aren't getting bigger. Everything's fine. <laughs> but it was just like, it was so weird to understand just how much your brain can alter things in a weird, like, high anxiety situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was super weird. I used to live in a, in a row house. Um, and we were on the second floor. And there was a hallway right outside, very narrow hallway. And there was a door with just a ladder in it. And the ladder led up to a um, uh, a hatch to the roof. Okay. It's a very, very old building. Um, and, th- and the landlord kept the hatch unlocked for whatever God knows why. <laughs> and then one night, I had a bunch of friends over. And they had all been, I don't drink, but they had all been drinking. And they're like, let's go to the roof. And, and like immediate, I was kind of like, yeah, that's, that's cool. I'll go to the roof. And like the second, and it was hard to get up the roof because like the ladder ends like a good ha- foot and a half before the hatch. So you had to like grab and like pull yourself up onto the roof. There's literally like no siding or anything on the roof. It's just flat. Right. It's just like a flat roof just of like, just like. Good. Perfect. Yeah. Just drywall or whatever. And I look around and I'm just like, okay, I'm, 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 I'm okay right now. And then my friend Mason's just like kind of trampsing over to the edge. He's like, look, it's like, it's the ground. It's the sidewalk. And I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh, can't do this, can't do this. And then his girlfriend comes up. And, you know, and like I said, they had had a couple of drinks. And like at one point, they're just like kind of laying like near the edge, kind of just looking out into the town. Right. And she just kind of like starts like draping an arm over the over the side of the roof. And I just like immediately just started having panic attacks. I was just like freaking out. Like I couldn't handle it. I was like, we need to stop everything we're doing. I need to leave. I need to not be here. If anything goes wrong, I can't handle it. I'm out. I'm like pulling the chute. We're done. <laughs> like eject. Oh, I hate everything about that story. Yeah, I feel you on that one. Ugh. Uh, well, now that we talked about our deepest, <laughs> yeah, most right? <laughs> darkest anxieties. How about them trains, right? <laughs> How about trains, trains and games? Oh, man. 
like I was saying earlier, I don't know how you guys do these transatlantic flights all the time. Yeah, it's 100% Netflix. I tell you what, that's such a game changer. You have no idea. I've flown a lot in my life because even as a kid, I would... Um, I lived with my mom and I would fly out to visit my dad and my stepmom who lived in Colorado at the time. And so I'd be on, I'd I'd fly a lot, like, you know, a good handful of times every year, which was a lot for, you know, a teenager in the early 2000s. Um, but that was way before internet on flights, obviously, like nobody even had cell phones yet. And it was, you know, before devices were really a thing. IPods, did iPods exist yet? I don't remember when I... What, what year was it? Uh, like, let's say like 2000 to 2004. Yeah. 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 It was like early, the earliest iPods. Yeah. Although I did fly a lot, like, it was like late, late 90s to early 2000s, I would say, is when I was doing a lot of that flying between my, my mom and my dad. Um, but I had like a portable CD player and physical actual books. Um, and I remember, and there's like, the, the entertainment that would be on the flight would be the the movies where the screen would come down from, like, the ceiling of the seats in front of you. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, a movie being played for everyone. Like, there was the movie being played on the flight. That was the movie you watch. If you didn't want to watch that movie, read your book that you probably maybe bought. Like, there, right. was, there was not a lot of entertainment. And I remember those flights still being fun because you'd, like, talk to the people next to you and all that kind of stuff. And I like would keep my ticket stubs and I'd always write down like what books the people around me were reading. And then on subsequent flights, I would read those books. And it was just this like little thing that I used to do. And I often think back to those flights because there was, you know, there wasn't internet, there wasn't personal entertainment systems. It was just you were there and you were sitting there and you were just expected to either read, watch that movie or just exist you know <laughs> just sit there for 10 hours yeah, and it's, it's stone-faced weird, it's weird to think about the the time and it, this is gonna make me sound like such an old person the time before the internet um when we'd all have to just be with our <laughs> it, we had to churn our own butter <laughs> but do you ever like think about that like what what did we used to do with our free time uh, play on game boys yeah but like <laughs> then, those were battery powered so you're on a long enough flight you don't have your game system anymore, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that's non-existent, really. Like, there's no there's no outlets on the planes. There's no rechargeable game systems. It was, you know, a Sega Game Gear that took, like, eight AA batteries and lasted for two hours, maybe. What, what a two hours they were! Oh! I loved the Game Gear. It had such a good form factor. Like, it was, it was kind of chunky, but it was, like, smooth, and it just, it felt so good. Whereas, like, the Game Boy, my hand always got really cramped up. Mm-hmm. Man, I loved the Game Gear. Had Echo the game- Dolphin on it, and <laughs> Sonic. My, uh, my Game Gear has battery acid on the contacts, so I need to clean it or maybe get it replaced. Maybe I'll get it, like, aftermarket, get some rechargeable batteries in there or something. Oh, man. I have no idea where the Game Gear or the Game Boy from my childhood ended up, and I'm very sad about that. Yeah, I lost my my original Game Boy. I have the battery back for it, Yeah, and that's it. I, like, found it one day when I still lived at home. I was like, huh, okay, well, I'll just tuck this away, and if I find the rest of it one day, I guess, I guess I'll have a complete set. But do you, do you have the original Game or did you have the original Game Boy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always like having to, like, clarify that with people, because they'll talk about their Game Boy and then, like, mention something about colors, and I'm like, nah. <laughs> Uh, no. I'm talking pea soup. Yeah, we're talking Got that weird green. 
<laughs> got that that pixel the uh, shadow shadowing that it did. Yeah, I loved my Game Boy. I had Pokemon Yellow. I'm sure we had other games, but I had Pokemon Yellow. <laughs> and I remember like I would sneak that Game Boy to school, and <gasps> I know, right? And in my the only class I could like sneakily play it in was science class because we had those like big long desks with, with the black tops, the black tops, the big long desk. So it had that like lip at the bottom and it was the perfect size to put my Game Boy right against it. And I would just sit there and I was I was one of those kids who was like smart and good at school and stuff. So I never paid attention to anything. I just sit there and I would hunt Pokemon. Oh, man. <laughs> I had a similar experience. I mean, I, not video game related but i remember like in fifth grade where like there's like five of us in my science class or i guess it was my science history class no science math because we had our, we had two different teachers and we were all reading harry potter like in the middle of class like not even like slyly reading harry potter like books open we're reading harry potter professor's trying to teach us something and he just gets so mad at us and tells us to put the books away and my child brain didn't understand it's like but we're reading yeah you adults make such a big deal about reading and we're reading like why what's what's wrong (laughs) i love it man i wonder Uh, what being a kid in school is like now playing Fortnite on your iphone another another thing is gonna make me feel old like what what do kids get up to these days (laughs) hey shunny because i remember like i would you know we would have class and we'd learn something and then there'd be like an, an assignment to do and we'd work on it. And if you got done early, like you'd turn in your assignment and I would sit there and I would read. Or if you had like a cool teacher, they'd let you like leave and I would go hang out in the band or something. <laughs> Smoke cigarettes. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Um, but like, what do you do then now? Like, are you allowed to have your, your phone out and like do stuff with it? I, I don't think so. Because when I was in high school, because I graduated high school 2010. You graduated what- high school? 2010 yeah get out of here get, <laughs> get off of this Dude, call get get right out no get off this skype call no yeah i'm 26 uh, no <laughs> you get out of this whole thing you get out <laughs> no so yeah so that, so that original gay boy i had was a hand-me-down no like the- i thought we had a thing going here that you had the original I'm sorry no uh, no Mm. Wow! I'm sorry. I graduated high school in 2004. Get out! I mean, if you, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the truth would come out eventually. <laughs> anyway, tell me about your high school experience where you graduated in 2010. <laughs> I mean, we had cell phones at that point. Like an iPhone, someone having an iPhone was still like a rare occurrence. But uh, you just—it was like school policy. Like you can't have your phone out. It was like. Uh, first time, if you had your phone out, a uh, teacher would uh, confiscate it for a day. Second time, I think, was in-school suspension. Second, Third time was out-of-school suspension. Well, so, here's the thing, though, because that was back when, like, cell phones were still fairly new-ish as, like, a commonplace device. So I, I'm curious now, because phones are such a extension of humans now, like, I wonder if rules are more lax for free time. In school. Maybe because, like, obviously, get your phone out during teaching, bad, no good. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if it's more acceptable now to take your phone out and text when you're like sitting there, like what I would used to read, you know? Yeah, I, th- I feel like during lunch they were pretty pretty lax about it. Like you'd have your phone out. I think 
or maybe people are still hiding them. I don't know. I didn't. So not only, not only were cell phones like not a thing when I was in high school, but my town, like I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. We didn't get a cell phone tower in my town until two years after I graduated. Wow. Yeah. We were a dead zone. Like the cell phones started to become a thing. And if you had a cell phone, as soon as you entered my town, you had no service. Wow. Yeah. I remember when that was a big thing in like cell phone advertising where it's like, you're in a dead zone. Yeah. You're not escaping the dead zone. My whole town had no cell phone tower. It wasn't until like two years after I left is when they built their first cell tower. Yeah. It was very. I know. I feel like everyone's pretty proud of like their like kind of lifetime trajectory with technology. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm one of these young kids, relatively speaking. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have the love for the Super Nintendo that everyone has, and I'm okay with that. I was actually literally thinking yesterday about how the Super Nintendo was probably my favorite and most important childhood console. Like none, none of the games that I usually rank among my like top most influential games of my life come from the Super Nintendo, but the console as a whole and its impact on my life was probably the biggest of any console I've ever owned. So mm-hmm. it's funny that you would say that. Well, cause like my generation, I don't know if we belong to the same generation. I don't know. I think we're both millennials. I think so. But there's like a certain subset of millennials who are the last, the last generation to truly remember a time before the internet. Um, and I forget what it's called, but it was, it's like one of those like very defining generational things is whether you remember the time before the internet or not, and how we're the first, we're the, we're the last generation, the only generation that will have seen that transition between non-internet to internet. And it's really interesting to think about because I, I do remember the time before the internet, you know, like technically the internet existed, but nobody had it. You know, and I remember getting in-home dial-up internet and just having that ability to connect to other people and how influential that was. And just knowing that there was that dichotomy of before and after the internet and how we're the last generation to have that is just, I don't know, it's weird. Yeah. Do you remember uh, a time before the internet? Yes, okay. yes, I do. I was like... You were like six. in diapers. Okay, hold on now. I was bo- I, I was born uh, in 91, so no, let's... let's get let- out. Get out. Let's let's fully put a put a timestamp on this. No, so like people aren't born. You know what the worst part is? Is <laughs> with you nineties kids. No, the worst part isn't even the kids born in the nineties now. It's the people who were born in the two thousands that you can have actual human conversations with. Like my my niece is nine and a half years old. She's a real human that I can talk to and have actual conversations with. She was born in 2009. <laughs> That's what? That's not possible. That was yesterday. That was last year. No, it's terrible. I, I actually, I was outside today and I saw something that said 20, 2019, but I read it as 2009. And I was like, man, 2009, we're really in the future. And then it hit me that actually <laughs> 2019 and that we're, yeah, that 2009 was 10 years ago. And it was, it was a whole existential crisis. Did you see that tweet that was like, I, I'm glad I grew up on Minecraft and not Fortnite. And I was like, oh, God. No, no I didn't see that, but I hate it. <laughs> that game's nine years old now, Adriel. No, I hate it. No, just you just you just stop. <laughs> <laughs> Ending this recording. We're, we're done. 91 birth year. You're the sheep. You're the sheep, baby. Ah. Uh,
but yeah, no. So like when I I grew up, like obviously like that Super Nintendo came. Dinosaurs died out, unlike me. Yes, exactly. After after the asteroid hit the Yucatan. Got it. <laughs> uh, um, when so Super Nintendo came out nineteen nine. Well, actually, it came out my year, right? It came out ninety one. I think I, um, I vividly remember the Christmas that I got my Super Nintendo. Oh, yeah. And like, I hate when there's years where I remember, like, actually remember things happening. Somebody's like, oh, I was born that year. I'm like, <laughs> great. Good for you. Anyways. <laughs> so when I was like four or five, uh, my cousins gave me a NES, mm-hmm. a Game Boy and a Game Gear. Wow. Your cousins are great. Oh yeah, they. So I grew up on that stuff for like a, a, a year or two. I had my Game Boy for for like a couple years. My NES, my dad like gave to some neighborhood kid, and I'll still never forgive him for that. But the so I was I love Super Mario Brothers three, specifically Super Mario Brothers three. Like that was such a quintessential like experience for me, and like I went from that. To like maybe a year or two later, my cousins, my same cousins, coming over for one Christmas, and they brought their PlayStation Ooh. and playing Crash Bandicoot, and and that like permanently like breaking my sense of timeline with game technology. Right. Thinking we went from eight bit to polygonal like in the span of a couple of years. Oh man, that's 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 quite the jump. Right. And so, like, I grew up kind of, and I mean, like, obviously, I understood it better, like, once I became a teenager or something. But, like, for a good segment of my life, the, it was NES and then, like, N64. Like, that, that's, that, 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 was the, that was the jump. I love how things like that can just sort of solidify in your brain, like, those associations just by sheer happenstance. Like, I have this weird, I have this weird association in my brain between Banjo-Kazooie and the the M M&M CD that came out around that time. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Banjo talking about mom spaghetti. Yeah, I think it was the one before that. It was his like first CD that got really popular with, with some shady okay. thing on it. Whatever. Anyway, but I bought that CD around the same time that I bought Banjo Kazooie, and I would play Banjo Kazooie, but listen to that CD. And so every time I hear any song from that CD, or any time I'm see something about banjo kazooie i just have these like weird connections of various m&m lyrics to various levels in banjo kazooie and it's right. this like weird circumstantial connection that just so happened to be because i would listen to that cd and play banjo kazooie but it's just it's inexplicably linked in my brain now and i cannot think of banjo kazooie without thinking of m&m Right. I have the same thing. Like, I think Chris Straub, like, last year or something, like, put a tweet out. And it's like, does anyone have one of those experiences where it's like, I didn't listen to the game music. I listened to this CD. And so, like, that album is, like, inextricably tied together. And for me, and this is really weird, uh, for me, it was World of Warcraft, The Burning Crusade, and Neil Young's After the Gold Rush. Okay. So, which is like a folk, kind of folk fantasy album. So, it kind of works. Um, but like now I like treat that album as like a fantasy, like almost concept album in a way. And it's really weird. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I used to make up lyrics to like overworld songs in video games and stuff. And none of them ever made any sense. Like, I think, I think it was Super Mario three that I had something about clowns and I like, I, I don't remember any of the lyrics, but there was like one song where there would be like 
something about clowns that I would always sing in my head. I don't know, but was it like the main theme or was it? No, it was one of was like it the... da, 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 Yeah, yeah. Da, da, it was da, 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 the clown hates me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where it came from, but I'd completely forgotten about it. Um, and I, I was visiting a friend and we ended up playing through the entirety of Super Mario Brothers three in one day, like no warp whistles, like played through wow. the whole thing. And that's the, the song came on and I was like, I started thinking about it in my head about, oh, I hate the clown. The clown hates me. And I was like, Oh my God, I totally forgot that I'd made this. Song up. That's pretty good. Yeah, that was fun. I hadn't played through Super Mario three in a really long time and God, it's so good. It really holds <laughs> up. Like, there's some, it has a lot of the sort of like artifact of Nintendo difficulty, you know, how they used to just like super up the difficulty on a lot of things, but it, it really holds up. It's real good. Yeah, it's one of my favorite games of all time. And then after that, we played uh, Super Mario World from Super Nintendo and played through that. Yeah, that, that one's okay. Whatever. Oh my God. No, I love that one so much. It's so good. Yeah, that Game Boy Advance game. I remember that game. <laughs> <laughs> you young whippersnapper get out of here most of those games most of those mario games i played on uh when they came back to gba when they made that super mario advance series yeah because it was super mario advance one was super mario brothers two it was the first time i say it played super mario brothers two uh super mario advance three i think was super mario world and super mario advance four was yoshi's island Oh man, Yoshi's Island is so good. Best one of the best games. Oh man, I God, those all most of some of those games are just so well designed. It just kills me, especially like now as a game developer who understands things about game design and game creation, and I go back and I play those games and I look at them through a different lens. I'm just like some of those things that they just like inherently teach you through playing games are just incredible and so like intuitive and have shaped so much of how we make games. Oh man. And it's, it's great to see that kind of trajectory that like Miyamoto and his team had where it's like Donkey Kong and Mario brothers, like still trying to figure out basic platforming and then just like nailing it. There was a really good tutorial video that went around a couple years ago that explained the design of the first level of the first super Mario and just how well designed that was and the things that they had to consider when making that level because people didn't have the inherent knowledge that we have as people who grew up playing games to like run to the right and that you can jump and that if you jump on something, it kills it. Like that was new concepts back then and just sort of how they designed that first level to teach players those concepts and it was just really interesting because i hadn't really thought about that before about how we just sort of take that knowledge for granted now um, right and how they had to sort of just like go through and consider that well you see that in extreme cases with like fighting games or mobas where it's like this is very very like synthesized like calcified knowledge that like is very hard to understand but like any any sort of games like that oh man games are great man games are great Games are Confirmed. great. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that the, the, it was still up for debate, but we have solved it. Games are great. Oh, and this like the last two years have been incredible for good games. Right. Like I can't keep up. I can't I keep up. There's too many. It's yeah. There's too many games. That's true. It's and it's really bad now because now it's. I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but like since the switch 
everyone's been like, well, should I buy this game now or just wait for Switch? I mean, obviously, that's the, the running joke, but also, like, but also it's I like... Do, a, I do wait for yeah. everything to come on the Switch. Like, I am one of those people. I want... Like, I was, I was saying the other day, the, the moment Destiny comes out on the Switch oh. is over. Like, <laughs> I have no more life anymore from that day forward. Sorry. Mm-hmm. This is where I live now. I live on my Switch. Um... But yeah, I mean, they're getting closer. God, every game is so much better on the Switch. There's not... I would be hard-pressed to find a game that wouldn't be better on the Switch. Oh, and yeah. I hate that I'm that person, but man, I want everything on the Switch. Well, it's like Dead Cells just came out on Switch, and I bought that, like, maybe 10 months ago yeah. on PC. Still have not touched it yet, because I just haven't had time. And I'm just like, hmm, should I just, just buy it for the Switch? Just play it on there? God, I really need to buy Dead Cells. I, I I had like marginally heard about Dead Cells before, but nobody nobody really explained it in a way that made me want to play it. And then I was looking, I think it was like Polygon or something, had a review, and the title was The Spelunky of Castlevanias. Yes. There. That is how you get my interest. And now I want to play it. All I needed was those four words. And now I'm completely 1,000% sold on it. But I still haven't bought it. But right. that's, For me. that's mostly because... So my, my Switch... My Nintendo account is European. Uh, uh. And my credit card is American. And there's no good way to handle that situation. And so to buy a game on the Switch, I have to buy... I have to like go online, buy a gift card for the European Nintendo shop, redeem that gift card. It's a whole thing. And I have right. the energy to do that. <laughs> well, can't you just buy a download code from Amazon for Switch games? Because you can buy digital copies of games via Amazon. And they'll just email you the code. You may have just solved my whole life. <laughs> glad, glad to help. I actually like... That's one of the other funny things about living... I think not so much in Europe because some European countries have Amazon, but the Netherlands doesn't have Amazon. Really? Um, Amazon, Amazon.nl only sells Kindle books and there's no hmm. actual products for sale because the country is so small. Every website sort of has next day delivery, you know, right. like there's not a website I can order from where there is no option to at least have next day or two day delivery because the country is four hour drive top to bottom long ways. Wow. You know, like wow. it's a small country. It's the size of three Rhode Islands. I looked it up. Um, okay. So like Amazon just sort of never caught on and there's probably other reasons as well, but it's just, it's, it living here for the last four years, I have almost entirely forgotten about Amazon's existence. (laughs) And then I come back to the States and people are like, Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. I'm like, Oh yeah, that thing, that thing exists. I forgot. Oops. You might be living the better life than Adriel. I don't know, man, because there, there are some times where I like come to the States and I order something from Amazon. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I really like Amazon. We have a distribution center right outside Richmond, Virginia. And so we have Prime Now here. Oh. And, and I don't abuse it. Like, but like when it first got here, it was like, I'm getting my laundry detergent from there. <laughs> I'm getting some bagels. I remember there was this one time, like maybe two years ago, I, w- I went to go stay with a friend who lived in Seattle. So like Amazon country. Right. You know? Yeah. And I, I show up and I was going to be staying there for like a week or two. And he was like, oh, man, I didn't wash the towels. So there's no clean towels for you. Let me just order some new ones from Amazon. And I was like, what? And he like, wow. Two hours later, they showed up. He was like, it was faster and it was easier. 
I needed some new towels anyway. <laughs> okay, if they needed new towels, that like, all right, understandable. If it was just like, I didn't want to do the laundry, then I'm like... <laughs> I mean, come on, everybody always needs more towels. It's true. I'm still in that stage of life where everything is like pawned off from my parents. It's like, oh, you live on your own now. Here's all the silverware we don't want. Here's all the linens and everything else we don't want. I'm like, great, cool. I have a bunch of mis- mismatching place. That's real, real fun. I feel like that's um, like the millennial way to be is nothing matches. Everything's from somewhere else. You've got like 12 different types of forks, you know, whatever. <laughs> Get yeah. the good fork tonight. <laughs> yeah. Us millennials, us young millennials, not the old millennials. Yeah, I, th- I think I really am like right on the border of like starting as a because what are the years of millennial? I think if like, I think it's under 40, you're a millennial and then above whatever Gen Z or Gen Y or whatever it is. I really like avocados, so I'm definitely a millennial. <laughs> okay. I think I'm- I will murder this industry. <laughs> did you see, did you see that article about millennials ruining the mayonnaise industry? I didn't read it. I saw some headlines and I'm like, I don't like mayonnaise. So that was my first sense. thought too, was like, I actually really hate mayonnaise. So fair. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess we did. I guess we did break the mayonnaise industry. Put a bullet in it. Dang. And it just made a <laughs> glopping noise. <laughs> oh, oh. Well, it's the bad thing about mayonnaise is the noise it makes. And it's gross. Oh. And, it's just... and the color and the viscosity. About it is terrible. Blah. Ugh, I hate mayonnaise. And the worst thing is in the Netherlands, everybody puts mayonnaise on everything. Like, they <laughs> love mayonnaise here. Like, you go get french fries, you're getting mayonnaise on those french fries. It's disgusting. It's terrible. There was there was one time, went to a french fry place. Because they also love french fries here. I don't know. Um, and they had all these different sauces you could get. And I saw one that was like a garlic butter sauce. And I was like, okay, I, I enjoy garlic butter. Let me mm-hmm. get on my french fries. No, it was garlic butter and mayonnaise. That's that's a garlic aioli. Let's yeah. let's. Uh, it was terrible. Yeah. If, whenever I see aioli, I'm just like it's, it's mayonnaise. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, um, <laughs> uh, AGO, we actually have to do an introduction. I think at some point. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> hi. What are we like? Oh God, we're an hour and seventeen minutes into this call. Yeah, we're pr- we're pretty far in. Well, if we're gonna have a late title card, I might as well say the episode number right now. Wordcast episode one hundred fifty three. Go. But I'm Dylan Alvento, and that's Adriel Wallach. Hi. How are you doing? Good. I'm Adriel Wallach. <laughs> <You're> age- Hi. <laughs> Uh, nice, natural, good flow. We're going to put that right at the beginning. It's going to sound great. <laughs> Don't put it at the beginning. Put it at the end. We can be like one of those cool movies that doesn't put the title until uh, after everything happened. Avengers Infinity War. Exactly. It fades Part away. one. I was real jealous of Rami being like, all right, go go see Infinity War for the 12th time. I was like, man, yep. living the life. Well, that, so this is something that's really cool about the Netherlands, and I don't know why this happens, but... The Star Wars franchise and the Marvel franchise tend to release their movies two days ahead of time here than in the States. So, like, Infinity War came out on a Wednesday night here. And so we just went and saw it. And then we got to, like, sit there on our butts for two days, not tweeting about it whatsoever. And then finally, like, Friday rolls around and I'm like, okay, people are tweeting about it. It's fine. 
We could spoil it for everyone else that hasn't seen it. Oh god, it was so good. I uh I telework on Fridays and the Friday it came out, like the night before, I was like, I should see it tomorrow. And then I woke up Friday morning and I said, No, I should see it right now. <laughs> and then I got dressed, went over to the movie theater, <laughs> stood in a line for like 10 minutes, walked inside, saw the first viewing in that movie theater for Infinity War, and then just walked out like, wow. Yeah. Like, I don't even want to talk about it just in case somebody listening to this hasn't seen it yet somehow and, like, hasn't had it spoiled. And, like, you know what, whatever, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about Infinity War now. Um, So, stop listening if you haven't seen Infinity War. Um, But, oh, man, like, I know, I know how superhero things work. I know everything's going to turn out just fine or whatever, yada, yada, yada. But it was just like, it was such this cool moment when it was just like, oh, they lost. The movie's over. And like, it was just, I don't know. Seeing it the first time was just like, holy crap, what just happened? Then we went and saw it again, like two days later. And it was really fun to watch it a second time and really pay attention and like see just how hard they were trying and just see the dominoes slowly falling for them all throughout the movie until just it hits that critical mass. And it's like, well, crap, they, they didn't win. Like they tried their hardest. They did the best they could. And they didn't win. And which is, I don't know. It's cool. Cause you don't get to see that very often in media, like in movie media, like, right. You see it all the time in comic books, you see it all the time, you know, in other media, but for movies, it's like, the hero wins the end. Even if it's like a two-part series or a three-part series, there's always like, you know, a cliffhanger or whatever, but it's not they lost. It's like, oh, right. will they lose? Oh, no, this was just like straight up, boom. They lost. They lost. Go home, cry, deal with it. We all need to relish in this next year yeah. before next May because once the second part comes around, like you, it's literally one of those things where it's like you're not going to be able to feel that experience again like you're never going to be able to be like well, what's the conclusion because it's it, it'll exist yeah it's also just like i love thinking about the whole marvel cinematic universe and like thinking about the sheer scale of what they managed to do over the last what 10 11 years how long has the marvel cinematic universe been uh, going? i think i think it's 10 years this year yeah like this was something that was unheard of back then like now sure we have like serial movies all the time but like they have this whole shared universe through many different directors many different characters there's a bunch of misses there's a bunch of really good hits they've gotten really good in the last few years but it's just like the sheer scale of it and then seeing infinity war and seeing how it all pulls together in different ways like even if the movie was garbage which it wasn't like just the sheer scale of being able to see the culmination of all these years of watching all these Marvel movies and seeing how they are all going to fit together in this like pinnacle moment was just this, I don't know. It was really cool to like, just sort of have gone through that whole thing, like watching all the movies over the years and like building up. And then you see this like culmination of it all coming together. Right. And if you go back and look at Iron Man one now, it like looks so grounded. Right. It's like, Oh, it's a guy who's got a metal suit. He can fly around, but it's like standard kind of, yeah, it's a paramilitary stuff. Like adventure romp, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love, I don't know, I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think it's, I just think it's really cool. And I love that they managed to pull it off. Yeah. I really like 
uh, I remember reading something somewhere about how like, and this is both a good and bad thing about how uh, kind of creators in Hollywood, you know, it's really hard hard to get like an indie flick or like a kind of one-off flick that's not going to be a major franchise or IP or based off of like some best-selling novel or something. Hard to get those things off the ground. So a lot of those creators, both writers and directors, have turned to films like the MCU or other films yeah. because they can then infuse their ideas and their perspectives into that. Right. And it benefits both of them because then those stories don't get put to the wayside and it also makes kind of the blockbuster, you know, popcorn flicks much, much better. So like if you look at um, Black Panther, Ryan Coogler's all over that. Yeah. Um, like even down to the fact that like he's from Oakland yeah. and, you know, a part of that film takes place in Oakland. Yeah. You get all that sort of like flair, you know? Yeah. Or even like uh, Thor Ragnarok with Taika Waititi, like, mm-hmm. you know, he was pretty niche before that. I mean, there was a lot of people who liked what he did, but it was a very niche population of people. And then they let him have Thor Ragnarok and look what he did with it. And it was incredible. Yeah. The same with the director for uh, for Spider Man because yeah. he only, he only directed like a like a horror like a clown horror movie before that uh, it was like some you know you hate the clown the clown hates you like <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I like that oh man movies are good movies are good are they better than games they are in a different category <laughs> are movies art <laughs> oh man. No, there's been some good, especially like the horror movies coming out lately. Man, I don't know if you're a horror movie person. I'm not really, but I I saw the It trailers. So I was like, man, I could I could watch this. This seems like the It remake has been really good. Like, I cannot wait for part two to come out. Is it just called It Chapter Two? Probably part two, not the Losers Club. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't actually know if they released the official name for it. I imagine it's just part two. Um, but yeah, it was because like I loved the original It a lot as a child. Like I, I don't know, I don't know what my parents were thinking, but I grew up on horror <laughs> movies. Like I was allowed to watch things that I really should not have been watching. Like I think I watched It when I was like ten or eleven or something. Oh wow! Whatever. I really liked it. Um, and then just like seeing the remake and it actually being really good was very nice. That's cool. Who was the original It? Uh, What's the actor's name? Oh my gosh! Uh, uh, that he's in, that everybody loves. He's in Command and Conquer. Yeah. He's in Home Alone Two, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, name is a name that oh. we should know. Tim. Tim Curry. Tim Curry. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, he did really like, and it's one of those things because because now there's the whole like, oh, which it is better, like which. Which Pennywise is the better Pennywise? And they're both just super incredible in their own take on it. Like, Tim Curry's Pennywise was creepy and just, like, you know, normal, normal, quote-unquote, like, clown clown creepy. Whereas Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise just has this, like, extra sort of, like, otherworldliness to him that I think is really cool. Um, cause he does like all these just tiny little things like that weird mouth thing that he does where he like puts his lips all whatever. Um, let me demonstrate on video for the <laughs> people won't see. Or like I was watching an interview with him and he has like one eye that if he doesn't focus, it just starts wandering. And so oh, like, God. throughout the movie, every now and again, one of Pennywise's eyes just starts wandering and that's all practical because 
that's just something he can do. The Skarsgård's eyes messed up. It's 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 just all these little like moments were really really good in that movie, and they're just like both those Pennywises are so good. That's cool. I should I should check it out in in the in broad daylight when I'm not going to be terrified. I got to go see I got to go see it with Felix. Actually, I was in San Francisco and we went to an Alamo Draft House to go see it, and it was awesome. And we went to, this was something that I hadn't really thought about, but makes perfect sense. So we went like in the middle of the afternoon during the week. And when we booked the tickets for the Alamo Draft House, it was like, oh, well, this, this is a showing that allows children. Like, is that okay? And we were like, who, who's bringing children to go see it? And then we, we show up and we realize that it's like parents with babies in strollers. Uh. Yeah. Like those people also probably want to go see movies. Um, but it was cool because, <laughs> yeah, but, but like what was cool about it was because they were allowing children, there was also, they like allowed small noises because obviously babies are going to make noise and like the lights were not entirely off. They were just dimmed. And it was a really cool experience because like it didn't bother me at all. I still got to see the movie and it's nice to see that people are catering to those audiences as well because, you know, they're right. adults who want to go see horror movies and maybe they have babies, but they want to go see it. I don't know. It was, it was this cool thing I hadn't really thought about as a market before. Right. And hopefully the babies don't have some sort of impression <laughs> from that film. A whole generation of small children growing up terrified of clowns, but they don't actually know why. Right. It's just, it's just inherent fear. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you about the time I went to go see Watchmen and someone took their 10 year old and I was like, well, this was a bad decision. Oh, geez. Yeah. That you just made. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, uh, movies, games, trains, they're all cool. Yeah. Clowns less so. Yeah. What is it about clowns? Because like clowns are an inherently scary thing, right? Or are we all just traumatized by it? Um, so I always saw like pictures of Tim Curry, like out of context, like, you know, in the, in the it makeup. Yeah. And I was like, this clown seems off, but in the kind of way all clowns kind of seem off. Yeah. But I, I think it's like both the makeup mixed with like kind of the larger than life like expressions that they yeah. make. Sort of like an you uncanny know. valley kind of situation. Yeah. And then like kind of the slapstick humor that clowns are like based off of is kind of violence based kind of slipping on banana peels kind of kind of shtick. Well, the thing is, like, I've seen actual like professional clowns perform clown things and they're really like interesting and cool and good to watch but then there's something about i think children's clowns like the clown that we like the stereotypical clown that we think of with like making balloon animals for children and whatever like those are scary to me but like the performer type clowns like the ones who do physical performing humor i don't I don't know how to describe it um right i find them a, cur- a career clown a career clown not a children's birthday party clown i find those really entertaining and fascinating and not scary right yeah i don't know i don't know clowns are weird clowns are weird <laughs> on that note i think it's a good yeah. place to wrap up adriel yeah how do you feel about that i feel i feel great about that <laughs> awesome adriel Thank you so much Yay. for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Of course. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Anytime you need me to come back and talk about clowns and horror movies. <laughs> and trains. And trains. Yeah. I didn't even Whole bu- touch on like 90% of my train stories. 
Yeah, we didn't even talk about flangers. Just only a little bit. We only touched on it. Google the word flangers, everybody. It's your homework. It's your homework. It's pretty great. They're cool. Um, <laughs> where can people find you? Uh, on the internet, I'm on Twitter with the handle Miss Minotaur, M-S-M-I-N-O-T-A-U-R. Um, basically, that is my username literally everywhere, but Twitter is where I tweet out the most stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Indie Train Jam on Twitter. Train Jam is the Train Jam Twitter account. Um, trainjam.com is where you can get information about Train Jam, uh, including when next year's dates are, announcements about when tickets go on sale, also where you can buy the tickets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. Tickets for Train Jam usually go on sale in about November. I always announce it a couple weeks ahead of time so that people can get ready because the tickets do sell out super fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you look at Indie Train Jam on Twitter or trainjam.com, that's where I do all those announcements. It's uh, funny how the sleeper cars, in retrospect, this makes sense, but the sleeper cars sold out way quicker than the coach cars, and I always expected it to be the reverse. Yeah. Well, the problem is there's there's so fewer sleeper cars. Right. The, yeah. so the order that it usually goes, so there, for the people listening out there, there's five different ticket types you can buy. There's the coach class, which are just like glorified airplane seats. Um, there's the superliner roomettes, which fit all the rooms fit two people. Um, the superliner roomettes are the smallest ones. It's like a bunk bed. There's no real space to do anything, but at least you get to sleep. And then there's the family rooms, which are, you know, a big bed and a smaller bed and you have like room to stand up. There's the deluxe rooms where you get your own, your own private bathroom shower um, it's not a bathroom and a shower. It's literally bathroom shower. Um, the toilet. Okay. The toilet's in the shower is what I'm saying. It's like okay, a boat. There's a sink. Okay. Yeah. All right, I got you. The toilet, the toilet is in the shower, which is weird. And then there's the uh, wheelchair accessible rooms, uh, which don't go on public sale. We actually partner with Able Gamers and they sponsor those and they find developers with disabilities to come on um, and jam with us. But anyway, so of those five, four of them are on public sale. And then the order that they usually go are the family rooms because there's literally only three of them on the entire train. And then the roomettes go because they're the cheapest of the sleepers. And then the coach class seats go because they're the cheapest ticket. And then the deluxe rooms are always last because unfortunately they're very expensive. Right. um, Because you get your own bathroom shower. (laughs) But yeah. Wonder if there's. That's the only ticket sales. Every year. And then every year I go, oh, God, nobody's going to buy any of the deluxe rooms because they're too expensive and I'm going to be on the hook. And it's going to be and like I, I always panic until the last deluxe room goes because I'm just like, oh, I can't afford this. Our margins are too thin. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I think um, I don't know. I feel like going forward, like train jams is only going to expand, I think. Or if you're going to keep it the same size, like I don't think you're ever going to have a, uh, a problem selling I don't know. those, those I, tickets. Always, every year I, I go through that whole like panic of oh god is this the year that everybody decides train jam isn't cool anymore um because i I have to put down a 10 percent deposit before like wayne like i've already paid the 10 percent deposit for last year so i'm already like on the hook for a lot of money and so what if what if everybody decides trains aren't cool anymore what do i do what happens to train jam we'll save it okay i'll buy all the tickets all right yeah (laughs) Yeah. Buying a train is expensive. I'm going to warn you now. Uh, hmm. It's I'll not it cheap. 
<laughs> I believe you. Yeah, there's this like really funny. There's this there's this one moment every year where the ticket sales have happened, but I haven't made the final payment to Amtrak yet. And I always just like I look at my bank account and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> look at me, I have money. And then, poof. And then it all goes away. But there's this, this very brief moment where it looks like I'm a successful human being, and I like <laughs> I relish those days every year. Uh. I have I have no follow up to that. Matt <laughs> <laughs> lost for words. Uh, trains, trains. Anyway, uh, I am excited for next year though. I'm looking forward to doing it again. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited too. This is the first year. Well, so this is the first year where we're not growing at all. Um, it is the exact same train size and layout as last year. Um, and we can't add extra people. I'm not taking anything away. So it's the very first time where I like, I literally can look at last year's budget and organization and be like, okay, it's just the same. Like, I don't have to adjust numbers and hope I did it right. Um, and so I'm excited to sort of just like refine things and see where I can do improvements instead of also just having to grow it. Um, and I never really wanted to get bigger. I just kind of wanted to stay where it is. Like there's 350 people that come on it now. It's a good size. I don't want it to get bigger. Yeah, I think it's a manageable size yeah. right now. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the amount of people where you're obviously not going to meet everybody, but it doesn't feel overwhelmingly like you're not going to meet everybody. You know, like you're still going to mostly get familiar with faces, even if you don't talk to them. And then again, when you're at GDC, you can go, oh, I recognize your face. We were on that thing. So I think 350 is a good size. Yeah, that's cool. Well, check out train jam when the tickets go on sale yay trainjam.com uh, trainjam.com uh but if also if you like this podcast you want to listen to any of our other podcasts you can find them at ward-games.com ward-games.com forward slash podcast um you can also find them online or on twitter at ward video games uh then we're on all of the uh major podcast apps iTunes, etc. Just search for Wordcast. Uh, I mean, there's Google Play, but whatever. Uh, Overcast, Stitcher. Someone was like, one of my friends went, "Can we? Can I get it on Pocket Cast?" And I'm like, "What is that?" And it's like it's this cool, cool app. And I checked it out, and I had to specifically submit to Pocket Cast. And there was like a web form, and it showed me like this URL. It's like, all right, the, your thing's online. This is where you edit your information. But it's like if you don't. This this web page is gonna die in like thirty days or something. So like, better make sure all your information's good. I'm like, okay, whatever. So it's on Pocket Cast, but wow. if I ever need to change anything, but yeah, right, check it out. Podcast on Pocket Cast. <laughs> Adriel, thank you again. Yep, thank you. Until next time.